few things um, probably as complex and as contentious as Western water has a history of being very litigious. People um, people fight about a lot of things, almost everything historically. And you have a finite resource, you know. And so the reality is, you know, Colorado's gone from a million people to two million people to five million people to six million people. There's water needs that come with that change in growth and urbanization. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Keynotes, Stories of Collective Impact. I'm Marcus Chavez, Communications Director for the Keystone Policy Center. Before I get to today's story, I have to take a moment to acknowledge the horrendous shooting that occurred in Boulder on Monday, which comes essentially a week after the mass shooting in Atlanta. I know my words are inadequate, and we are all feeling a collective sense of anger and helplessness. I feel it only appropriate that I express my sympathies and condolences to all of those affected by these tragedies, especially those who have lost loved ones or family. I am so sorry for your trauma and loss, and I honor all of you. As you probably know, I'm recording this episode just after the completion of the first weekend of the men's and women's NCAA college basketball tournaments. For those listeners who may be unfamiliar with the NCAA tournament, and we do have listeners outside of the United States as a matter of fact, this is the tournament to crown the nation's best college basketball team. It is a single elimination tournament that starts with 68 teams who play over the course of three weekends until a champion is crowned. As I mentioned, the women's tournament is held concurrently as well as other tournaments outside of the national championship. So why do I mention this? Well, it's certainly not because my alma mater, Gonzaga University, is among the favorite to win the men's tournament should the team complete a historic undefeated season. No, I mention this because this is a month where sports betting is at its zenith. You see... In 2018, the Supreme Court struck down the federal ban on sports betting, which cleared the way for state legislatures to adopt legislation making betting legal in their respective states. But today's story is not about sports betting. As you heard in the opening clip, it's about water. And I'm sure you're saying to yourself right now, what in the world does sports betting have to do with water? Well, stick around and I'll tell you. I think most people in the country know there are competing interests over water, but I don't think people quite have a sense of just how contentious the fights are over water, particularly in the Mountain West. I was born and raised in Idaho, and I remember constantly seeing some story on the news or hearing a discussion in class about water rights and interests. I'm not talking about general conservation. I mean the legalities between two interested parties fighting over water. Even under the best of circumstances, there are so many demands on water and in the arid western states, the demands are heightened. That is the case in Colorado, where an exploding population, increased demand, and climate change make its current statewide water trajectory unsustainable. I want to share this clip from a video produced by the state of Colorado summing up the issue. Water planning in Colorado centers on one primary fact. Natural water supplies have not aligned with human settlement patterns. Much of Colorado's water falls on the west side of the Continental Divide, while at least 80% of the state's population lives on the east side. Colorado moves water from the west to the east to meet the demands of the Front Range. 
All told, Colorado uses about one-third of its water in agriculture, city supplies, and industrial purposes. But much of the rest is required by legal agreements to flow downstream to other states. These physical and legal constraints on our water use, along with population growth and what is expected to be wide variability in future precipitation, will leave Colorado with a major water supply gap that by some calculations could be a shortfall of water for over one million people by mid-century. You heard mentioned in the video about compact agreements. To understand these, you have to acknowledge that the water that originates in Colorado doesn't all belong to Colorado. The state has other interstate compacts, which are basically water apportionment agreements between Colorado and other states. For example, the Colorado River Compact allows Colorado to use up to 3.85 million acre-feet provided that the upper basin does not cause the water flow at Lee Ferry, Arizona to fall below 75 million acre-feet based on a 10-year running average. Colorado has agreements like these with basically all of its surrounding states. So, when you factor in all of the municipalities, states, businesses, sectors, recreation interests, all vying for a limited, finite resource that is literally life-sustaining, you can easily understand why most of these disputes end up in litigation. Which, at the end of the day, does not even solve the basic problem, ensuring a sustainable path for water for the state. That is why state leaders decided to develop a plan to meet future water needs. Over the course of several years, the state conducted a comprehensive and robust public engagement effort to gather insight and expertise to develop a long-term outlook to meet the state's water needs. In November 2015, the Colorado Water Plan was officially adopted, which showcased solutions with broad support that strategically addressed Colorado's most difficult water challenges. Sarah Alexander, Vice President of Programs at Keystone Policy Center, explains. The state undertook a process and it, that was a broad engagement process across all the different watersheds and, and water basins within the state to create a plan. And states to have that kind of, not, not just a plan, but the, the broad stakeholder input and engagement that they, they used to create the plan was really important part of that. And the plan loosely about $100 million a year um, to $3 billion over 20 years that um, would be needed to actually fulfill um, all of the, the projects and needs within the, um, within the water plan. And that ranges from everything from conservation projects and uh, healthy watersheds and healthy rivers to, to agricultural infrastructure to the infrastructure as well. The Colorado Water Plan was an impressive strategic collaborative effort bringing different interests together to find common ground and develop shared solutions. But believe it or not, I'm not actually here to talk about the plan's development. I'm here to talk about what comes after, because there were objectives laid out in the plan that did not have funding. Tom Goujon, the president of the Gates Family Foundation, whose voice you heard to open this episode, explains. And one piece of that was an estimate of what it would cost, I mean, what kind of investment we would need to make um, in order to achieve those objectives. And you know, it was a pretty big number, something like $20 billion over over 30 years. Um, and the plan estimated that there was a funding gap of about $100 million a year. And that really grew out of some things have a way to get done historically. There's, there's funding streams. If a utility wants to create infrastructure, they've got a customer base. But the plan had other objectives that you know about river health and watershed health and um, supporting agriculture and not all of those things had the same clarity about funding and so that's really where the gap came from. 
Gujan decided to discuss the issue of the funding gap with staff members from the Walton Family Foundation and decide whether there was a way to close it. Really, our involvement grew out of a conversation with staff from the Walton Family Foundation, um, Ted Kowalski and Jill Ozarski, and along with me and uh, Russ Schnitzer of our staff. And and we knew there was some interest, particularly in the environmental community, of maybe thinking about some kind of ballot measure to create a funding mechanism. Not a lot of clarity about what that would look like or even when it could happen. And so um, Russ and, and Ted and Jill and I were talking about that. And I think we felt like history has kind of told us that if there's going to be a successful effort like that, it's really going to have to have broad-based support, that no one sector could really advance an idea like that. And so rather than maybe having just the environmental community propose something, we talked about whether it was possible to get a, a real cross-section of people who are the actual stakeholders together. Um, and so in January of 2018, we we literally just invited 25 or 30 people to dinner um, who represented that whole cross-section. And really in the course of that dinner, we just asked people, like, what do you think? You know, is is there actually a need here? And is there enough interest in exploring a way to maybe fill that gap? Um, and the feedback we got was by and large positive. People said it was worth the conversation. And so that's when we really launched this effort to manage a more structured conversation among all those players. And Keystone Policy Center became our partner in trying to facilitate and host that conversation. The coalition that was formed became known as For the Love of Colorado, and Keystone Policy Center was tapped to facilitate the coalition and lead the public engagement effort. The coalition outlined three priorities. First, to determine what initiatives in the water plan needed to be funded. Second, was to understand the governance structure of how any additional funds would be managed. And third, was to determine avenues for funding, which the group initially thought would be through a statewide ballot initiative, which in Colorado is tricky. But that third piece of where where the funding will come from, I think largely was assumed to be a statewide ballot initiative. Uh, the way we are in Colorado, any tax increase um, has to go to the voters. And so we're sort of by of our constitution forced um, to statewide ballot initiatives anytime um, a funding source is, is um, needed. Now is the time to make the connection to the start of this story. As I mentioned, the Supreme Court struck down the nationwide ban on sports betting in 2018. In November 2019, the Colorado State Legislature legalized betting in the state, providing an opportunity to generate new revenue, a portion of which could be designated to help close the funding gap in the water plan. Sarah further explains. If sports betting is legalized, um, online sports betting is legalized within the state of Colorado, um, could the... um, some of the funds raised through that um, for the state purposes go to water. Um, And so there was work both with the um, state legislature to put enabling legislation in place. And then that went to the voters in 2019. Um, It's known as Amendment DD (laughs) um, to actually um, secure some of that sports betting revenue um, for water. And that's been actually wildly successful. Um, even in COVID when uh, professional sports were underway, people apparently were betting on things like ping, ping pong <laughs> that was actually generating revenue. And, and so that's a, that's a great um, down payment on the funding that's needed. So I think it's um, around 10 to $20 million a year. So it does not get us to the full 
sweet, but it was an opportunity that um, arose that the group was able, because they had created this consensus really to mobilize. Since the legwork of forming the coalition, determining its goals, and beginning work on these issues had already been done, Tom Goujon emphasizes that for the love of Colorado was already primed and ready to consult with state legislators when the sports betting legislation was being considered. But the most important thing that came out of it was we actually had all the right people at the table. And it was like this really great coalition who actually had a shared set of priorities. And so when opportunities did come along, whatever they were, we had that coalition already there like to weigh in on, on, on that. And so what turned out is the climate, you know, didn't turn out to be really right for like a big sweeping statewide single funding measure. Um, just for a whole variety of reasons. But we did get opportunities along the way where the state for one of the few times and maybe ever um, put some general fund money towards the implementation of the water plan. And you know, we were available to talk about what, what should be the priorities for using money like that. Um, and then sports betting got legalized. And, and in the very waning days of the session, you know, the sponsors of the bill um, to tax it said, um, do you guys think like we should dedicate this to implementation of the state water plan? And so, again, we had this like dream coalition already there to say, we, we do think that's a good idea. And here's exactly how you could do it. And here are the priorities you should set. And, and so it just was a really fortuitous thing. And that's not going to solve the whole problem, but it's an important kind of component and, and a step in the right direction. Not all of the action on this is at the state level. A few of the local water districts also put ballot measures before the voters to generate funding for projects outlined in the water plan in their districts. Sarah explains. There were uh, several, um, a couple local districts who um, had been preparing to go to their voters in 2020. There was one on the West Slope, the River District, which is one of the bigger water districts in the state um, that covers most of Western Colorado. Um, was able to go forward, um, as was uh, St. Vrain, uh, Left Hand Canyon. Um, and they are a um, smaller district, but in a more urban area on the Front Range um, between Boulder and, and Weld County. And both of those measures passed um, overwhelmingly by 70 to 80 percent. So um, that was a, a huge success, both for those districts and for funding for water, but it still doesn't replace the need for continued need for statewide funding going into the future. So what started as a conversation among a few folks about meeting the water needs of the state has morphed into an effective coalition navigating a system that decided winners and losers, but never really got to solving problems. You know, I think the partners we've had, I think Keystone's role, all those things made us effective as a group. You know, it wasn't just the fact that people were open and willing to talk, but but we really curated the conversation in an effective way over time. And even if there were, you know, occasionally bumps in the road or an issue would come up somewhere, you know, I think everybody's been willing to sort of keep the bigger kind of picture in mind and sort of stay focused on the long-term goal, which is like, we're going to find a way to make this work for everybody. Like it, it isn't about winners and losers. The system will want to push us back in that direction, but we're not going to let it do that. We're going to stay connected and just, be highly pragmatic in trying to solve problems and find opportunities. And and that includes, you know, what the rest of the funding picture may be. Um, you know, I, sitting here today, I don't know what the rest of the answer looks like. I'm not sure any of us know that. I think we feel pretty confident that if we if we hang in there and keep at it, we'll, we'll figure that out eventually and we'll get there. And that's going to make it possible to really 
you know, achieve the balance we're looking for so that there doesn't have to be a big loser in the equation. State leaders have also recognized For the Love of Colorado as setting a model that others can follow to solve complex and divisive issues. We, we had a, um, a conversation with the Speaker of the House, Alec Garnett, um, last week, and he said this, this coalition is the definition of success, and this is the Colorado way, um, is building these sort of diverse sets of consensus. And I, you know, I think um, that's really true, and, and we won't make progress without keeping a broader coalition together. And I think um, this coalition is is a little bit different in that. It's not people who are experts in water um, or who have spent a lot of time thinking about water, but who have identified it as really important um, to the state moving forward. The work of the coalition is only beginning. As Sarah mentioned, the funding they have been able to secure through the governor's office, sports betting, and through the local water districts is really just a down payment. The coalition is still looking at more options, whether that be through the state, local initiatives, or through federal infrastructure legislation. But the key takeaway is that collaboration works. It is possible to get consensus and reach common higher ground for policy conflicts many thought were previously insurmountable. It's a wonder why more people don't try to do it. Keynotes is a production of the Keystone Policy Center, a 501c3 nonprofit organization based out of Keystone, Colorado, which for more than 45 years has empowered leaders to reach common higher ground. This episode has been made possible by a contribution from the Denver Foundation. If you would like to learn more about Keystone Policy Center, visit our website at keystone.org. Keystone.